why your next takeout meal may not be from a restaurant. Next on Remote Space. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! (laughs) Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. The crossroads for food and technology were slowly evolving a few years ago. The pandemic has supercharged the world of takeout, ghost kitchens, and the way we think about dining. I want to talk to Kristen Hawley, a freelance food and tech writer who can bring her perspective while standing on this virtual corner of the fast-changing industry. Kristen, now we're going to talk about the business of restaurants and food, but I want to start at the end point. Can you tell me uh, and tell us about a really wonderful meal you had and what made it so memorable? Actually, I'm going to go with one that I had this weekend. I was in Chicago. It's the first time that I've really traveled since the pandemic. Um, And I went to a restaurant called Rosemary. And I went to Chicago specifically to eat at this restaurant. It's new. And it serves Italian and Croatian food. And I went there because my um, great-grandparents are immigrants from Croatia. And I had no idea that Croatian food was a thing um, and could be a thing. It is one of the hottest tickets in Chicago at the moment. And it was just an absolute delight to be able to eat food that came from my grandma's culture. We actually, we lost her in, in March. So it was just like such a special honor to be there and to experience something that is literally a part of me. And I had no idea existed. Um, and what made it so special beyond the fact that it honored my grandmother and my heritage was just that it was, I think, the second day that Chicago was back in full capacity. The server that we had was just spectacular and amazing. And we were able to sit for two and a half hours at a gorgeous restaurant serving amazing food that I felt a deep connection with. And it had been so long since I've been able to do that. So everything just aligned and and just made this for this perfect evening. Yeah, no, I the, the whole part of having a long meal and, and you and I both have kids. And I remember when we went out for a meal and uh, we told the waiter, do you have kids? And they said, yes, it's like, we want to spend as long of a time as possible without having to go anywhere for the next couple hours. So they, they perfectly placed it out. And it was just like the, the, the thing of the luxury of a long meal, especially when you have kids sometimes is, uh, is true, is, is, is memorable. Well, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. I don't know next time I'll have a hankering to be in Chicago for Croatian food, but now I have a recommendation. You should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely worth it. Okay. So the, this changing world of restaurants, and there's a couple different areas I want to try to introduce our, our listeners to, but let's start with the traditional restaurant where people go and sit down and eat. And then when the stay-at-home orders kind of fell in place, we saw several close their doors, some for good. We saw several try to pivot to become an order place or a, a pickup place, which for many restaurants, they had never done a lot of that is is that something that you've come across and and or just talk, talk to what you know and what you've responded to about this traditional restaurant sure so i think um important to say that restaurant dining is 
recovering very quickly. There's a ton of pent up demand is the industry term, which literally means people have been like dying to get out of their houses um, and go out and eat at restaurants and it's happening. So that is, that's the good news. But in terms of, you know, the, the way that traditional full service, we'll call them restaurants, um, have evolved over the last 18 months. I think pivot pivot is an okay word to describe what happened during the pandemic. Um, maybe scramble is maybe <laughs> like a more accurate term because many of the restaurants that did choose to change their offerings in order to sort of tread water and survive have since stopped doing that. So a lot of places that offered takeout meals or takeout meal kits or food that is partially cooked that you can reheat at home or experiences and things like that have actually stopped doing so as traditional dinner service has returned. So that's kind of an interesting thing. I think when the pandemic first happened, a lot of businesses thought that maybe that would be a continued revenue stream post-COVID. But the reality sort of became that they're limited by staff, they're limited by kitchen space, and they maybe just don't want to offer literally like everything. They prefer to focus on the experience of in-person dining. So I'm very excited about the return of that. Exactly. No, it makes sense to, if you want to try to be excellent, to, to not have the biggest range in the world. And we'll see how this rolls out with, have people got enough interest in always ordering out or or want that option. So, And then one of the articles that you wrote that kind of started the conversation with my producer and I was this concept, and I like the, the term dining room-less restaurants that have started up. Uh, some people call them ghost kitchens. All that, but can, can you explain what this concept is that we're talking about that many people may not even be aware of? Sure. So you can call them a lot of things. Um, ghost kitchens, virtual brands is another one. What that is, is a restaurant business that essentially lives on the internet. There is probably a website and some branding and an Instagram account. And most importantly, a listing on one or all of the large third-party delivery service companies. And people can order food for delivery, for pickup from these businesses. But what you can't do is go to that restaurant to sit in a dining room and eat in the way that you would a traditional full-service restaurant. Right. And now some of these are are running out of kitchens, of restaurants, but there are actual physical buildings just basically built to have one or several kitchens that people can, I guess, I guess rent out? Mm-hmm. Like one, 10, 30. Wow. There are some really big real estate deals being signed, huge, for these because if you think about it, they don't need to be located in the most optimal location for foot traffic. All they need to do is be central enough to whatever delivery radius makes sense for that area, which takes them into suburbs, which puts them in cities, which puts them in industrial areas um, that are accessible by delivery drivers and couriers. And it lumps together many different restaurant businesses. And some some are just outposts of existing restaurants. And there are big, you know, Chick-fil-A has a ghost kitchens. Um, and then some are specifically virtual brands that exist only in the digital realm for takeout and delivery. And are, am I only going to find these in big cities or are suburbs and smaller towns, if they can support it, can are, are they going to be other places besides big towns? Oh, they're everywhere. Everywhere. It's a brand expansion strategy for a lot of concepts. It's a way to test a new market for many concepts. 
And it is a way to just grow at an incredibly, incredibly fast pace for all sorts of food businesses. I like that. So yeah, so if I'm, let's say, uh, a restaurant who does fish and I want to experiment with just a sushi type thing, instead of putting it on the menu at my restaurant, I could I could maybe go to a, uh, this kind of ghost kitchen and just be this one site that one would be sushi only. And then also hopefully capture, again, the web traffic is, I'm sure, just a key component of this, that someone types in sushi near me that's going to be something that they're going to work on their algorithms to make sure that they're at the top, they're near the top of the list when someone's just looking for that particular type of food. Oh yeah. And it's, I mean, this, and this is not a pandemic concept. This has been around for a long time. And years ago, Uber Eats started offering partner restaurants data on what sorts of cuisines were missing from an area. And it was like, oh, hey, you have a fryer in your kitchen that's perhaps underused. Why don't you spin up a fried chicken concept? You could capture a whole new audience because there are X number of people who have been searching for fried chicken in your, in your area. So you can also do it based on data. Wow. So again, pre-pandemic, this was happening. This was maybe a potential wave of the future. And then maybe just the best thing that ever ha- could happen happened is that everyone started ordering online and not being concerned about the ambiance or the look of the, or the location of the place. They just needed food sent to them. Mm-hmm. And you find a place with branding that appeals to you and good packaging design and all of the things that these virtual brands had been thinking about for quite some time. Um, It really was the perfect storm. And it's hard to talk about optimal conditions in the restaurant industry at such a a time that was so devastating for so many businesses. But it truly is for the ghost kitchens, the virtual brands, the delivery-only businesses who just thrived, many of them, during the last 18 months. And I assume if many restaurants are becoming ghost kitchens, occasionally people who are coming from this and experiment will end up maybe post-pandemic opening restaurants if they have found a white thing and they want to go in there. Or you think most of them will stay in this sector of of just being uh, virtual? I mean, I think it depends on the business. I can tell you there are there are big corporations that have spun up that have portfolios of virtual brands. And I believe, you know, the intent is to stay virtual because the margins are better. But then there are plenty of individual chefs and entrepreneurs that I've talked to that perhaps had a concept they weren't sure about um, or had a concept but didn't have the investment to, you know, go get a storefront. Um, and they were able to prove product market fit by virtue of a delivery only business. And so that that's a way that's one way to just sort of start slowly instead of just jumping into the very expensive world of restaurants. So you'll see both. You'll see both, but there are absolutely virtual concepts that exist only to be virtual concepts and scale very quickly. Now, some of these brands I was reading like Denny's has Denny's of course, which everyone knows, but they also started something called the Burger Den. So now and some people think that's kind of tricky, right? That they're you might think there's a new burger place nearby called the Burger Den. Oh, support local business, but it's actually being cooked and distributed from Denny's. Yes, that is something that many uh, large chains have done. Applebee's and Chili's both have wing concepts. Um, they have been less hidden. I think the, the big one that came up again, uh, it was either in the early days of the pandemic, but I think it was before, was Chuck E. Cheese. Um, and they started something called Pasquale's Pizza. And many, many people thought it was a local pizza delivery restaurant that was new. And it was, in fact, Chuck E. Cheese pizza being delivered from a local Chuck E. Cheese. 
funny, right? <laughs> just without all the toys and kids, I guess. But I, I, I will say, I think what, what I read that most websites do put that information right on the main page if you scroll down, which of course some people won't, but they're, most of them are trying to at least, I, it's not the letter of the law, but be honest in the fact that this is a major corporation, but um, it is kind of a gray area, I guess. That's, that's fascinating. Yes. I think the other thing too is uh, it is it is a best practice to not be shady about these things. And also delivery apps do list the address of restaurants, you know, like Uber Eats, DoorDash, everybody has the physical address of the, the restaurant. And if you Google it, you can usually tell if it's coming from a business or a, a ghost kitchen facility or a parking lot trailer, wherever. And, and you know, it's funny, you know, the whole concept of that's come on about knowing where your food comes from means a totally different thing. But here, knowing where your food come from to maybe throw in the address to find out where that is might not, might not be a bad idea so you know what you're getting. So we're looking at people trying to, new concepts to try to get into the, uh, the market a different way, probably making money at some point. Is there something else to be discovered, though, of, of this is going to change how we think about going out for food or getting food that's not from us? Well, I mean, it's going to take market share from somewhere, right? And I think uh, about a year ago, Euromonitor said that in the next 10 years, ghost kitchens could be a $1 trillion business globally. And that was taking share from the drive throughs from just plain old takeout, from like meal kits, from meals to go at the grocery store. So I think it is just presenting a whole new set of options. And when you layer on the convenience of digital and delivery and digital ordering, it just becomes a very easy option for people and uh, perhaps easier than a more traditional way of grabbing dinner. But like anything in the restaurant business or anything in business, this is this is a hot commodity. I, I When we were doing a pre-interview, I threw out something about Planet Hollywood and you're like, oh, the person who did that has this thing who's has gotten into ghost kitchens too. Um, so yeah, so even the the biggest people in the highest six. What so what are those folks trying to get? Are they going into the major cities? Is there is there a certain type of thing they're trying to get into, or they're they're just experimenting? Well, yeah, no. So this is this is be well beyond experimentation. So uh, Robert Earl, who started Planet Hollywood is a founder of a company called Virtual Dining Concepts. And their business model is to create virtual brands, most of them backed by a celebrity, uh, a very like very well-known celebrities. And they take those brands and they license them to local restaurants who have excess capacity in their kitchen. So their most famous and most successful concept to date is Mr. Beast Burger. Um, I think the last I read, there were 500 locations. It launched in December, December 2020, um, and we're in June, so that's six months. And it is backed by YouTube, like celebrity personality, very famous person, Mr. Beast. And it's a burger restaurant, and it is run out of local restaurant kitchens across the country. So this company uh, partners with celebs. They create celebrity-backed restaurants, um, and then they help them scale and find restaurants, physical restaurants that can cook their food and distribute them broadly. And, you know, Mr. Beast is one example. There are others. I think Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell, Polly D from Jersey Shore is there, Mariah Carey, they have, she has a cookie concept. It's a real hot ticket. And celebs and influencers are very excited to get involved in these things. 
And when you think about what that could mean, you know, I think Mr. Beast is definitely going for scale and staying power, but this, these could be pop-ups. These could be promotional. There's so much you could do with virtual concepts um, and celebrities. And, you know, it's, if you think about it, it's not that much different than, you know, Planet Hollywood in the 90s. It's just evolved to meet the moment. Yeah. I just hope that somebody, if it's Mr. Beastberg, is trying to do this revolutionary, cool thing, they can just figure out the science of actually delivering French fries that would actually taste good by the time they reach my kitchen table. <laughs> Many have tried. <laughs> it's it, but it's interesting because again, I've you know, like everyone else, I've ordered more out. We try to do at least so once a week. We try to pick a local restaurant always, and and it's interesting how. You saw the evolution change from uh, everything from how it was presented to the containers that they would use and, and that some things just kind of felt better and warmer and felt more welcoming to eat at home than some some other things. Again, f- French fries is the easy target. It's just like that will never taste good if, if I even pick it up at the local Dick's restaurant, which is a Seattle institution, and the three-minute drive to my home, it's still going to be cold. So. I'm sure there's more inventions out there. So I'll be I'll be waiting to do a follow up with you if they ever figure out the whole French fry thing. Yeah, there's some new technology. Uh, I don't know if any of it's particularly groundbreaking, but I think we'll see some French fry innovation. (laughs) So one of the things I was thinking about when we've done some talks here about on remote space about education, my wife, who's a, works in the school district, you know, everyone's online and it's been tough. But for a small sliver of kids online school has really been great for them. They've excelled because of certain barriers have been put down or or whatever it is. There's there's a small segment. So I'm trying to want, I'm trying to think there's probably a small segment of restaurant owners and chefs who just uh, through well-being or whatever, probably work better, not having to face the rigors of a nightly restaurant business is as if you heard anything on, on that level. Yeah, I think there are many uh, industry professionals who prefer, you know, not having the rigor of, you know, working until two in the morning or um, the hours or the people or the cramped conditions or whatever it is. And this definitely can provide a different, just a different, a different model for being able to run a food business. For sure. I think, I mean, I've, I've heard, you know, anecdotally, I don't have any data on how it's changed the industry, but I think that it has definitely made a lot of industry professionals realize that there are lots of other outlets, particularly people who may not have thought about running their own business before. It's a lot easier to get into something less that's far less capital intensive than opening a brick and mortar restaurant in an expensive city. There were tons of Instagram pop-ups, for example, of chefs selling food directly to their followers during the pandemic because they weren't working. So something like that could translate very well to a virtual brand or ghost kitchen concept and um, could be an extremely viable small business for someone with an entrepreneurial spirit, but perhaps not the resources to open their own physical restaurant. I'm curious about the people who are in the restaurant business who have done it because they have this timeless uh, story of feeding people in community. And that can only be done in in a restaurant where you serve and have a given experience, like you talked about your Croatian restaurant at the beginning. Do you feel that that will change because of all these other opportunities that are going to be out there in the food industry? 
I mean, I don't know that that will change. I think that what is going to happen and what we've seen happen is that there's sort of the experience route, which would be, you know, the more traditional restaurant that you go to because you're excited to have a night out versus the convenience route. And those aren't going to converge as much anymore. They're going to be very different businesses and very different business models. And, and they always kind of were. But with the proliferation of delivery, you started to see them get blurry a little bit. It was like, oh, well, sure. Like this, like my favorite place in San Francisco started offering delivery because it was kind of like, sure, why not? And it was not a place that you would have considered would offer delivery. It was a nice restaurant that you went to and spent two hours at and, you know, $250. So I think that... Uh, it might not change. Maybe maybe it will make the kind of experiential restaurants become even more immersive and experiential, right? Because the convenience ones will be even more convenient. And as someone who has a romantic notion of restaurants and loves the industry, you know, I get excited about that possibility. Yeah, there's nothing like a good meal. Well, um, Kristen Hawley is a freelance writer and the founder of Expedite the uh, weekly restaurant technology newsletter. We have some links to some other articles that she's written. Uh, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us on Remote Space. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about this. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space. As always, thanks for listening. We're going to take a break for the summer on Remote Space, but if you have any questions or guest suggestions, contact me, Doug Thomas, at LinkedIn.